HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at comté-usa.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. This is Elena Santagate, host of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for the past year, and I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio made from two recycled shipping containers because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of cheese. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show your cheese love by selecting Cutting the Curd in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN. Hello, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. Today, I'm delighted to have in studio Natalie Danford, translator of the quite amazing Asteria. Hello, Natalie. Hello, nice to be here. Nice to have you. Now, did I say that right? Um, Osteria. Oh, dear. <laughs> close. Oh, dear. <laughs> Not close at all. I'm, I'm going to, um, you know kill all the Italian words, oh. <laughs> because I don't know Italian, unfortunately. Though I am half Italian, I'm Sicilian, but my aunts spoke secretly in Italian so that we couldn't understand what they were saying. Well, Italians have then the added superpower of um, almost every city-state in Italy had its own language, and Italy was only united very yes. recently, yes. and those languages still persist. And yes. so not only Sicilian did they Sicilian speak- might even be farther, and then they came here, and then right. they had their own variety. variety. They From their yeah. own town, though, right. of a few thousand people, right. even if it was a tiny town, <laughs> they had their own language. And so 
even if you had studied Italian and you spoke perfect Italian, <laughs> like me, you would find yourself in <laughs> Naples completely flummoxed by what people are saying to you. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so anyway, your book is A Thousand Generous and Simple Recipes from Italy's Best Local Restaurants by Slow Food. And yes. it is an amazing book full of rustic and regional dishes. Um, so... What was it like translating this giant book? It was it was uh, the greatest translation project that I've ever done. I do a wide range of things, but I do a lot of cookbooks. Mm-hmm. And um, what a fascinating, wide-ranging subject. I have been traveling to Italy for more than 30 years now and have lived there on and off. Mm-hmm. And still, there were dishes in here that I had never heard of before. Mm-hmm. There were dialect words that I was completely unfamiliar with, and mm-hmm. it was almost like a detective job to track down, you know, thank goodness for the internet, to track down mm-hmm. and try and figure out what things were. There were very specific, wild onions of a certain type and Mm -hmm. um, all kinds of foraged greens. There were dozens of kinds of cheese I had Mm -hmm. never heard of before. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sure your listeners are familiar to a certain degree with slow food, but slow Mm -hmm. food, of course, has these presidia that protect slowly disappearing traditional foodstuffs, and a lot of the recipes in this book use those. So, you know, you'd find a cheese, and I would go looking online to try and find a comparable thing to suggest that someone might use as a substitute in the United States. And there would be one maker making this cheese with 10 cows somewhere <laughs> up in the That's it. Forget Americans. Italians need a recommendation yes. of a substitute yes. for these cheeses right. unless right. they live within that, you know, 25 right. kilometer radius. Mm-hmm. Now it was first done in, in, in Italian. In Italian. And how long ago? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think it's about, I think the book may be eight years old, the original mm-hmm. Italian mm-hmm. book. I have it sitting right there. I can mm-hmm. probably look at mm-hmm. the copyright. Mm-hmm. But um, the first book that Slow Food ever published was a guidebook to Osteria, mm-hmm. which is the plural of Osteria. And what does it mean? And Osteria, I think if you look in the dictionary, probably says in, I-N-N. It's an informal restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a place where you are going to get the food of that Again, that tiny town, the mm-hmm. pasta that they make there. It's basically a place Can where you, you sleep there too? Uh, some of them, I'm sure some of them are in... You know, originally, it was like, I don't know, the Canterbury Tales, the right, Decameron, right, that people right, were right. traveling through the countryside mm-hmm. and they needed a place to lay their head mm-hmm. and drink something and eat something. And that's mm-hmm. how these places evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, but they... Um, they are super casual. They are a place like many Italian restaurants where you go to eat what you would eat in your own home if you were eating at home. Mm-hmm. Italians have mm-hmm. a sort of inverse relationship to restaurants than what we have. They, they want to eat home cooking. They want to eat home <laughs> cooking. They, I mean, there are, of course, super fancy Michelin-starred restaurants in mm-hmm. Italy, and there are mm-hmm. some very sophisticated places um, but to them, the more rustic, the better. They mm-hmm. want to eat what their grandparents ate. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many, many beautiful and even pricey restaurants in Italy that are so out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. which is kind of the opposite mm-hmm. of here. If you wanted to go to the fanciest restaurants in the United States, you would go to New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. You would go to big cities. Right. 
They like they drive two hours out into the middle th- of nowhere. I think I've been to one or two. I don't remember their names, <laughs> right. but I ha- you had to make reservations ahead of time, and you drove up, and it was quite impressive. And, and they're growing everything themselves, and they yes. have their own cows yes. and their own goats, and they're making their own cheese and right. their own olive oil. <laughs> and those places often do have... Um, a couple of rooms because you go and you drink yourself and eat yourself right, silly right, and you have right. eight bottles of you wine and then you conk there. out and you just <laughs> stay there. Now, Slow Foods' origin was in 1989. Mm-hmm. It was a reaction to McDonald's opening in Rome on the Spanish steps. So they're really in the forefront of preserving old-style food in the whole world. Um, those started in Italy. Those started in Italy, but mm-hmm. now there are chapters mm-hmm. all over the world. Mm-hmm. There's a rather large chapter in New York City. I think the book says 160 countries. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. There, yeah. It may be more by now. And, yeah. Um, yeah. They have several different categories of um, of ways that they're protecting these foods. One of them is the presidium, and there mm-hmm. are about 500 or so presidia now mm-hmm. in the world. And that establishes one food as as we have to keep it. Exactly. Okay. This is disappearing. Okay. People okay. aren't making yes. it anymore. We need to mm-hmm. do and, and it can be anything. It can be a cheese or a kind of olive oil or mm-hmm. some of them are wine or, you know, a certain grape variety. Right. You know, there's there's always a movement back toward um, the old and the good. And there's a, there's even more than, than other places in the world that I've visited and certainly more than the United States. There is a reverence for tradition in food and drink in Italy that mm-hmm. is um, impressive. I mm-hmm. mean, even young people, mm-hmm. they're not interested in doing anything new. They don't want to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. They want to make an elevated form, maybe, if they're fancy and they're charging a lot of money. Uh-huh. But they really are um, constantly going back to what they ate as children, mm-hmm. what their grandparents ate, what mm-hmm. their grandparents probably grew. Cooked, cooked right for them. I mean, before mm-hmm. World War II, the vast majority of Italians lived in the country. Mm-hmm. It was only... You know, during after the war, that people began to move into even the smaller cities. They they mm-hmm. were they were mostly um, very impoverished. Mm-hmm. They ate what they could grow. Mm-hmm. The landowner ran a kind of sleazy sharecropping system where they came in and. You know, most people couldn't read or write, and they came in and they said, "Oh, look, I'm looking at my books, and you actually owe me more now than you owed me at the beginning of oh, the year." Oh no, they and were they sleazy. Took, they took the good stuff. I mean, I'm sure there were people who were nice, but they took the good stuff, and the poor farmers were left with the dregs. And uh-huh. so they developed an amazing, amazing ability. recipes from dregs. Yes, to take <laughs> something that you and I would toss out in a second and make something fabulous out right, of it. Right now, the slow food. Snail, I read in the book, is, uh, you know, if it's on the restaurant, that's a really good sign. It's like a Michelin star in the rest of the world. It's, I would say it's it's a little bit different than a Michelin star because... Well, it means it's more low-key. It's usually, yes, yeah. I, it's, it, but it is, it is, I don't know, I think anyone, any American who's ever gone to Italy, I certainly had this experience, um has gone to Italy, sat down and eaten something, and had the thought, this is so simple. Why does it taste so great here? Right. Why does this not taste great when I make it? When I make pasta with asparagus right. in my house, why do I not get this flavor? Right. And that is why. It grew mm-hmm. in the, the patch next door, the mm-hmm. asparagus, where they picked it wild. They made the pasta. They made the pasta. They made, not, not always. I mean, they right. used right. you know, semolina dried pasta in plenty of places in Italy. It's, it's there 
share their tradition over mm-hmm. egg pasta. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing. I mean, you wouldn't have found egg pasta anywhere in the south of Italy. Eggs were too valuable as a huh. as a protein source. You ah. couldn't, you know, they made okay. dried semolina. They hmm. ate spaghetti in Naples. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where that tradition comes from. Eggs were too much of a highfalutin ingredient. They couldn't oh. afford them. Now, I didn't read that in the book. I, d- I, I, don't, don't, know <laughs> I don't know that every word of what I'm saying is in the book, but that is right, a, a right. true thing about Italy. Now, the book is divided into uh, many chapters, mm-hmm. um, and it's courses, Correct. Yes. And and you want to tell us the courses? Well, a, tr- a traditional Italian meal would mm-hmm. be perhaps an appetizer, perhaps not. But mm-hmm. if you're doing, you know, a full meal, an appetizer. And then a first Auntie course. Pasta. Right. Then a first course, which is a pasta mm-hmm. or a soup mm-hmm. or a rice dish mm-hmm. or another kind of grain. And now you probably notice there are a lot of other, a lot of dishes um, that are kind of porridges of yes, ground, yes. different types of flour, of chickpea and flour, and fava bean flour. And a long chapter. It's a long the chapter. The first course is longer than the, the second course. I kind of feel like when it comes to Italian <laughs> food, the stars of the show are always going to be the first yes, courses, yes. right? And that was the most, I think for me, the most mouth-watering. Uh, I mean... Oh, the, polenta after polenta, polenta. after polenta. And, like, and I couldn't that wasn't stand even everything. It. Right. <laughs> um, but there were things, again, there that I had never heard of, places where they make pasta with cocoa powder in it. I mean, mm-hmm. these are traditional. These aren't, you know, somebody had this brilliant idea yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are traditional yeah. things they've been doing for 200 yeah. years. Yeah. Pasta made of every kind of flour imaginable, every kind of ground legume ground <laughs> into a flour, yes. and yes. farro flour, and yes. all these things, and also all those polentas. Again, Inexpensive, it filled you up, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you put a little, and you put a little, little bit of the good stuff. stuff. <laughs> yep, you put a little bit of the good stuff, and you stretched it. Right, you right. stretched it a yeah. long way. And now, what was your favorite chapter, and why? Oh, that's an interesting question. I I really did love that. That I hate to repeat myself, but that pasta um, and and first course mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. But I also was really interested in all the pizzas and flatbreads. That's something, I mean, we think about pizza, obviously, mm-hmm, from, mm-hmm. from Naples. Um, but I hadn't really thought about all of the flatbreads that there are in Italy and um, how that's like an, a whole category of its own. Again, people, And where, which chapter is that in? People didn't have um, the breads. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know where it is. That's an interesting question. I guess it's a section in the antipasti chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Breads and tarts. And, you know, there are so many things that you make that are sort of rolls with Mm -hmm. olives and Mm -hmm. seeds Mm -hmm. and and also um, flatbreads and pizza-type things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, focaccia that's plain, the way we think of focaccia, and then Mm -hmm. focaccia that's split and baked with, like, a layer of Mm -hmm. greens and a little grated cheese in the Mm -hmm. middle or all Mm -hmm. these things. Again, ways of making a meal out of out of not very much stuff or out of mm-hmm. stuff that you could pick out of the ground around mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and also lunch is continues to be in Italy the main meal of the day mm-hmm. um, but when most people were farm workers of course they packed up a lunch in the morning they went out early and then mm-hmm. they sat in the fields and so those were portable things that okay. people could bring with them mm-hmm. um, now yeah. this Clearly, is not just a translation. I no. mean, you had to do research. You had to now. How much did you try the recipes? Did you did you do that? I did, and my mother 
bless her, also helped oh, she me helped? test a lot of recipes. My mother is an excellent cook and baker. And is she a, Italian? No, I'm, no. I am not the least bit Italian. It's okay. a strange thing about me. <laughs> um, but she is a retired caterer, and she, uh-huh. there's nothing she loves more than you know than a new recipe. Being assigned to try out. cooking. Yes. And <laughs> one of the very Italian things about the original Italian book is that for many recipes, there was just no yield. Now, I can look at a dish for... Now, what do you mean, just no yield? yield. There would be cookies, and it didn't say how many right. it made. Right. right. Yes, I noticed that <laughs> repeatedly, that sometimes the amounts weren't Sometimes, sometimes there were Sometimes it no was just amounts. a paragraph discussing how to make something without any ingredients well, the listed. Ed- the editor, um, who's a wonderful guy named Chris Steiner, who's no mm-hmm. longer at Rizzoli, unfortunately, who mm-hmm. worked on this very, very closely with me, mm-hmm. and I were looking for a way to break up, I mean, it's a thousand recipes. It's yeah. a lot. <laughs> right? And it so is a lot. We were looking for I a way concur. to break up the wall of recipes. You know, that gets a little overwhelming. So you decided to make some narrative recipes exactly. and some more lists of ingredients. In doing that, I looked for the recipes that already did not have <laughs> ingredient amounts. of. I mean, uh. Italians very rarely, even even, even professional chefs who write cookbooks very rarely will put an amount of olive oil for a dish. They're well, dropping it in sense. there and drizzling it in there and sautéing the onion. And That makes sense, but not saying how much of other things. Right, and not saying not how many, you know, does it make a dozen cookies? Does it make right. five dozen cookies? <laughs> I kind of need to know. Now, as I was saying, I can look at a recipe for a a, a soup, you know, mm-hmm. you have a pretty good guess, or mm-hmm. four to six, mm-hmm. or eight to ten, or whatever. Um, but things like cookies that made pieces and mm-hmm. gave a specific diameter, I mm-hmm. tested. I tested a lot of those okay. to to so you could say again, how many cookies the again, it would yield. These were so unusual. Um, you know, if I'm looking at a cookie that I've made before, I also could probably guess, or I could look at, on the internet at six mm-hmm. recipes. A lot of these, this was the <laughs> only thing I way I've ever heard of it. You know, I was looking through people's vacation photos to see uh-huh. cookies that they <laughs> ate and put on Instagram. Like, this is called a such and such to figure out, you know, what exactly the what the size was okay. or what they were like yeah, or supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Now, how often did you change... Uh, did you have to change the Italian version for the English version? What do you mean by change? Um, like make it more specific, make it uh, new ingredients, uh, you know, more American agre- ingredients. I didn't make any new ingredients. Mm-hmm. I did, again, for the hard-to-find ingredients, um, make recommendations for, you know, if you can't find X, you could use Y. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't going to okay. do that for, okay. pardon me, Giano Reggiano cheese. Everyone mm-hmm. can find that. Right, but right. there were some of right. these unusual cheeses mm-hmm. and unusual mm-hmm. ingredients. The original Italian book has 1,500 recipes. So I went through, that was the first part of the project, the cut. was going through and mm-hmm. I, I cut 500 recipes. I kept a few rabbit recipes, but for example, rabbit is very common in Italy as a meat. Mm-hmm. And I thought, 
you know, it's nice to have a couple in there. Yeah. I don't know yeah. that ever anyone needs. Right. I think I I think there were a couple horse meat recipes which is eaten um, mm. in the north, especially mm. in the northeast of Italy. Okay. I think I I think I cut all I the horse see one. meat. Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't I did. See I just one. thought that seemed yeah, that's, you know people would have a bad reaction. I cut some yeah. that were you know that were very similar to mm-hmm. each other, or you know, were two from two towns over, and mm-hmm. you could see right. the the influence right. of one on the other. Now there was more fish in the um, main course section mm-hmm. than there was anything else. Did you, you know really that? Analyzed. Yes. No. Did you know that? And do you think that is a, a good judge of how Italians eat? Um, again, it's completely local. My, my husband is Italian. He mm-hmm. is from a town that is about a half-hour drive into the coast. His mother never cooked a piece of fish. She would occasionally bake some frozen fish with some olives and tomato sauce on it. And mm-hmm. then she would make make apology, great mm-hmm. apologies about how she didn't know how to cook, cook fish because she grew up inland. Uh. Um, if you want to eat fish there still to this day, you will get in the car and, and drive a half an hour coast. and go to the coast. It's just, it's, it's just that local. Mm-hmm. They are a pork town. And they make everything <laughs> porky. <laughs> so you you come with your town. You, you, <laughs> you really come with your your heritage. Your heritage. Right. You really right. don't. And 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 Italians. My my mother in law has since passed away, but she was fascinated by the fact that I made a living writing and editing and translating cookbooks. She mm-hmm. would say to me all the time, "But who needs that?" <laughs> Who needs to? But people read, and ha- and then they mm-hmm. figure out. But how can they? Can they really make it if they just read about it? Mm-hmm. She was utterly like the idea of a recipe Flummoxed. was was really <laughs> confounding to her. Um, and I would say to most Italians, there's the idea that you're born into this. You know mm-hmm. how to make it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of not just in this book, but everywhere of of everybody knows that. I get okay. that a lot when I'm working with Italian oh, okay. chefs. Like, okay. well, how do you do this? But everybody knows how to do that. We don't need to put that in the book. It's like, yeah, yeah, we do need to put in preheat the oven. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's time for us to take a break. Okay. We will be back soon with Natalie Danford discussing Osteria. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Conte Cheese Association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conté. Conté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Conté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conté is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conté is unique. Learn more about Conté 
an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. Hi, Diane Stemple, Cutting the Curd, back with Natalie Danford, discussing Slow Foods Osteria. Some crazy titles in the book of recipes. One of them, Hyacinth Bulbs in Purgatory. (laughs) Now, the purgatory part, I don't understand. Uh, well, in purgatory is a general is uh, a, a phrase that is used frequently in Italian for when something is in a spicy sauce. Oh, it's in hell. Okay, <laughs> I did not know that, and I didn't read the recipe enough to understand it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what are hyacinth bulbs? Are Hi- they flowers? Hyacinth bulbs are a kind of onion. I mean, if oh. you think about it, the bulb, you know, a flower bulb that you would plant really is an onion, you know, and an onion flowers upward. Mm-hmm. The chives are mm-hmm. kind of the stems and mm-hmm. then the, the flowers grow mm. on top and they're, um, I believe they're from Puglia. They're Lampuccioni, I think they're called. Mm-hmm. And they are something that's foraged in mm. the in the woods. Okay. Now also we have vermicelli pasta with the fish that got away tomato sauce. Does that have fish in it? That has no fish in it. That is made with tomatoes. It's from the Campania region, which is where Naples is, you know, where the beautiful coastline on the islands is, which is an area with a lot of fish. Mm-hmm. And the tomatoes uh, specific to that dish grow along the coastline, which mm. is a little bit unusual for tomatoes to mm-hmm. be in that kind of sandy soil. And they take on the salt air. Oh, they, and the taste taste, fishy. they taste fishy. They taste like ocean. I don't know <laughs> that I would say they taste specifically fishy, but that's the idea and again. And I think there was the chicken that got away there also. There is the chicken that got away also. <laughs> yes. It's using the the uh, aromatics and the onion and the the kinds of things that you would put in a sauce around the chicken, but mm-hmm. without the actual chicken. Again, mm-hmm. you know, if people didn't have a chicken in their courtyard, they weren't going to eat chicken that night. Right, right. So it's a way of saving money. It's a way of saving money. Okay. Now, um, I did like pasta alla norma, mm-hmm. but I thought it was called nona. Oh, interesting. I, I think because at a restaurant, maybe it's... Does Nona mean grandma? Nona means grandmother, but yeah. pasta alla norma has another meaning. It yes. has to do with so. The, can um, you explain the, the norma, the libretto? Well, there are several norma stories, and to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure which norma story was in the in the book with that recipe. But there, it, it is an, an opera, and it yes. became sort of slang for something wonderful. And somebody yes. in Naples created the dish, and yes. somebody ate it and said, "Well, this is a real norma," yes. meaning this is yes. something really fabulous. Yes, it, it is. If you've ever had pasta alla norma, it is truly delicious. <laughs> okay, and that one I think had no amounts. Oh no, no. Making fresh pasta. There's a whole uh, half a page on fresh pasta, pasta, and there are no amounts in it. Well, I think the the thing with fresh pasta is it's about the ratio rather than the mm-hmm. you know. I mean, if you're making it for two people, right. it's. Ju- I think. I think it's. I think I. 
I probably entered it in there. My mm-hmm. rule of thumb is mm-hmm. one egg and starting with three quarters of a cup of flour per person. Okay. That makes a nice, a nice, you know, a generous <laughs> amount for a first course. Okay. If you were eating it as your main dish, which we sometimes do, you would want to make a little more. But that's mm-hmm. one, one egg per person is the general rule. Okay. Now, I also want some oxtail ravioli with black truffle. Don't we all? <laughs> Could you? Do you cook it? Have you cooked it? it I have not cooked that. But oh. I, I love truffles. They're I love oxtails. Wonderful, interesting. <laughs> They're wonderful. You know, inexpensive. Yes, yes. I discovered them long ago when they were inexpensive. Now right. they're. They're yeah. less inexpensive, I know, like but short they're ribs. still yes, yes, same <laughs> thing. Still on the side. Uh, of Italians really have a way with those long braised mm-hmm. um, meats. The meats that are, you know, you just cook them till they're falling off the bone. Mm-hmm. There's no overcooking any of that. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and they're great for a crowd, and mm-hmm. they're great, you know, in advance. And that might have been a richer kind of like a Sunday mm-hmm. meal. You know, Italians tend to gather mm-hmm. at their mother's home or someone's home on a yes. Sunday mm-hmm. and have a, a, a really big meal. Even today when people are eating more lightly and, you know, I don't think a lot of people make themselves a three-course meal at home mm-hmm. for lunch on a Tuesday anymore. Right. Um, they still do. They have Sunday. They bring pastries. They watch mm-hmm. a soccer game. They go for a walk <laughs> in between that and the dessert. You know, it's it's like a whole day right. Of, right. of eating and drinking. Now, this is a cheese show. Mm-hmm. So, any idea how many recipes there are with cheese? I did not count. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me. <laughs> I did not count. <laughs> no, I don't no, are we counting pastas with grated cheese sprinkle, you know, served no, alongside? No, I think that would be unfair to uh, no Parmesan. Yeah, you know, because that that every you know, too many have Parmesan sprinkled in, right? Yeah. Don't you think? Um, um, you know, it's interesting. Again, it's something that here, at least when I was growing up, and we went to eat quote unquote Italian food in a mm-hmm. restaurant, which mm-hmm. I now realize Italian food doesn't really exist. You mm-hmm. know, we we got a big bowl of grated cheese and we threw it everywhere. It's not really a part of. It is now because even in Italy, things have become nationalized, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the individuality has blurred. The lines have blurred. But in in much of the South, they do not. They would not have had hmm. um, enough grated cheese to put on something. It sounds oh. so impoverished, but it, truly, okay. these are people who you know okay. were eating really stone soup, and they right. they put breadcrumbs on. They right. took stale bread well, and they grated it. And Parmesan. Reggiano is always expensive. It's I mean, very, even there. Even in Italy, yeah. it is very yeah. expensive. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I agree. Now, I was amazed by you You recommend, or the book recommends, a specific Telegio. Yes, that must now, be the book, not myself. <laughs> um, like saying it's particularly excellent. Right. <laughs> now, could we get it here? Um, you know... If you pay enough money, Diane, you can really get anything. I mean, I do. I will admit to mm-hmm. I'm a little. I'm I'm in fetish territory here. There are certain <laughs> ingredients that when I'm making something and I really want something and it's a special occasion, I will send away to Italy. People will ship oh, things to send you. Send away to it's Italy. It's expensive. Okay. But, but I'm sure you know For this. Cheese. I'm sure you know this because you're a cheese expert in mm-hmm. in the Campania region where mm-hmm. they make buffalo mozzarella. Yeah. They consider a buffalo mozzarella that is 12 hours old to be past its prime and ready for the dumpster. But we 
sell it here. Of course, of course we do. <laughs> they would not. I, I, even in other parts of Italy, they mm-hmm. will eat it. But yeah. but in you know in mm. that specific area where they make that, they never refrigerate buffalo mozzarella. Well, mozzarella I just, is supposed to be fresh. I, I, mean, I just went to yes. a, an organic, a fabulous organic buffalo farm in, mm-hmm. in Campania in mm-hmm. October, and mm. you know we stood there and they stretched the cheese right. and then they and said then- here and they handed us a piece <laughs> and. Um, and it, was, and it was great. It was fabulous. I mean, <laughs> I was with I was with my brother and my sister in law, and my brother ate it and said, "But what if I've been eating all these years that I thought was mozzarella that has nothing <laughs> whatsoever to do with what I have in my mouth right now?" I mean, it was unbelievably yeah. good. Yeah. Mm. So I did notice uh, there's Malga cheese. Yes. Now I don't. I'm not familiar with Malga cheese. Um, Are you? I'm. I. I'm sure I looked it up when I was working on it, but it's again a it's a slow food presidium protected yeah. yes. um, kind of cheese that they're trying to encourage people to recognize and value and to encourage the consumption of. And it was in a recipe with uh, Primero Mountain Butter, which is also a slow food presidium. Right. Yes, it is. It's all in the Alps. They have these very pampered cows. They, if you ask these people, they would tell you very seriously, and I suppose they're correct, that mm-hmm. if they brought the cows 20 miles away and they grazed on different grass, everything would taste different. That We do believe that. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very specific to that area. There's a lot of cultured butter there. You'll see there's very little olive oil mm-hmm. in that part of Italy, mm-hmm. right? It's very dairy-centric. Yes. They eat a lot yes. of... Um, they eat a lot of cheese, a lot of butter. They put cream in things, and then the further the further down you go, the less of that you're going to see. Mm-hmm. Now, I was noticing the order of the second course recipes, mm-hmm. which is the main course recipes. That is one big thing that I did. The, the recipes in the original book are in strictly alphabetical order. Oh, so you which changed I found, it? I thought was useless. You did vegetables. <laughs> yes, I did. broke it up and yes. I broke it down. Now into that that was a good idea. Yeah, a very good idea. Yeah, again, a thousand recipes, and it was also interesting to see so many similar recipes right in front of your nose, right? All on you know the same page, the same page, but depending on where you are, they'll they have those variations between them. There is, I believe. One recipe in the book because I I sent an email to the person at Slow Food in Italy in Italy and asked whether it was correct. Mm-hmm. There is um, a recipe that mixes fish and cheese, which oh. is usually a gigantic no no. Oh, okay. There is a tuna and cheese recipe, which I thought was very mm. interesting. They said, I yes. did not spy that. They said to me, <laughs> I wrote and said this must be an error, right? And they said, no, no, no that is the, there's an exception to every rule, and that's the exception. Oh, interesting. And is it? A second course? Is it where it is? I, what's it called? Do you remember? I believe it is a second course, but I couldn't tell okay. you what. Okay, it's we'll called. have to look I later. Could, I could look. Okay, it. yeah, <laughs> I can find it. I can spot it. Um, the now, outlier. how do you decide to put the variations in the recipe without a separate title? Like um, sometimes you do that. You you right. discuss. Well, you could use this. You could use this. You could use this. In in the body of the recipe. I followed their system, which was a little erratic, let's okay, say. Okay. Not every recipe had a head note. You know, the head note is the little paragraph yes, at the top yes. that tells you the story and where it comes from and why it's special and mm-hmm. a little bit of the history or mm-hmm. something like that. And often what you could replace instead. Mm-hmm. 
I would say a little more than half of the mm-hmm. recipes in the original Italian had headnotes, but it, it, it's just something we would never do in the United States of like that we kind of inconsistency. Do it or not yes, do exactly. It. Yes. So yes. for the ones that didn't have headnotes, <laughs> I the, I wrote headnotes. Now I can't tell you off the top of oh, my right. head which okay. ones I wrote the headnotes okay. for, mm-hmm. but often I picked up on an unusual ingredient like right. amalga cheese and right. wrote a little something about mm-hmm. it, you know, mm-hmm. looked up online right. and wrote something about it in the head note or wrote that it had its own slow food presidium mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, to tie it back into slow food a little bit more. Now, I noticed some obscure holidays also mm-hmm. um, that I had never heard of. The uh, Asocion Big Match Oh, on May 1st. First, right. And uh, rice and peas recipe had uh, St. Mark. Well, St. Mark is the patron saint of Venice. You know, okay. every every day okay. is a saint's day in, okay. in Italy and I guess in every Catholic country, but I know about it in okay. Italy. So that everybody has two birthdays, basically. You have your day, the day that you were actually born, and then you have your name day, your saint's oh. name day. Oh, when and everybody sa- has a saint name. Everybody has a saint name. Is it their middle name? No, it's your first name. Everybody, uh, you're every, only named for saints uh, in Italy. Uh, for years, you were only named for saints. During the war, you could only have a Latinate Italian name. It was illegal, actually, to hmm. have. Uh, my father-in-law's name was changed because he his his given name when he was born was Vladimiro, and that was obviously not an Italian name. It was mm-hmm. a variation on Vladimir mm-hmm. from his communist parents, probably, and. <laughs> um, so he had to legally change his name to Valdimiro, V-A-L-D, in order not to have a, a an Eastern European name, huh. which was illegal at the time under fascism. Mm. I mean, it was mm. very it was very strict about uh, Italianita, Italian okay. identity. It was very okay. very important. But now I think you could you can name. I'm sure <laughs> that you're allowed to name your kids any any name you like. But still, even if you had an unusual name it would be sort of back associated to mm-hmm. the saint. You know, mm-hmm. if you have, if your name were Periwinkle, they would probably hook you into St. Peter or something. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I can't think of a good example. Now, what was the most fun part of working on this book? Oh, gosh. I, I just learned so much about all these little places. And also, one thing we haven't talked about is that each book is tagged with the name of the osteria that it's from, mm-hmm. the location of the osteria, the town, and then oh, the each province. Yes, 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 each recipe. Yes. And, and the region. And I, you know, I marked dozens of places that I that you had to I, go to. Yes, that sounded so good, or that just so you know, the towns sounded amazing. The towns or the, or the actual and the actual restaurants too. I mean, the and, and do they still exist? Well, what I was going to say is funny is in the United States, if you did this ten years down the road, you would, especially in New York City, as right. we know, you would right. find everything. You would find they'd closed up shop. But right. So right. so few of these places are gone. Very very oh, few of isn't them. Isn't that nice? Isn't that interesting? That yes. I mean, that's phenomenal. a part of that love yeah. of tradition is yeah. that, you know, they're not going to be displaced by someone who comes mm-hmm. along and does molecular gastronomy. Nobody <laughs> cares. Nobody is interested right. in eating that. Right, right. What was the least fun part or the hardest part? I mean, the volume was a little bit overwhelming mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. It was just so long. How long did it take? It took me about a year. And it's interesting when only a when, year. when Chris and I first discussed this project, mm-hmm. um, I, I was the reader for it. I don't know if everyone knows how this works, but when a, when a publisher has a, 
a book that they're considering translating. Of course, they don't all speak every language in the mm-hmm. world, although there are many Italian speakers at Rizzoli. Um, I often am the reader. So that means I take the book, I read it, I write a little one-page summary, and I mm-hmm. give my opinion about how well it would do mm-hmm. um, in the U.S. market. Is there a, is there an, mm-hmm. a niche for it, or mm-hmm. is it so similar to so many other books we already have? Is it not really worth... Um, worth doing and I was the reader for this book and I wrote a very impassioned <laughs> letter about how wonderful this book was and that I was dying to be the translator oh, oh, if they were to decide if they were to decide to translate it and Chris called me and said you know I can't picture anyone else doing it first of all you've read it all now and it's so long it'll take someone else a long time to catch up but also I think you would be great for this I'm gonna I'm gonna really push for it and yeah. he did but then we had a very short deadline Mm, and I started, and I was really starting to sweat. <laughs> this is thought, not a good book I'm for never, a short deadline. I'm never, ever going to get through it. And then um, I, it got bumped to like oh, a year later in the catalog. Goodness. So then I, I had a whole lot of extra oh, extra time that I hadn't expected. Um, I, it also was the the uh, files that I was working in, just you know, the process of overwriting. It was not, it was a very quirky file that, mm-hmm. where things were out of order and mm-hmm. things had gotten misassociated. You know, the names of restaurants mm-hmm. had gotten misassociated with the wrong recipes in mm-hmm. case, certain cases. Mm-hmm. And I was really um, fixing it up in accordance with the Italian book for a good couple of weeks when I started not to mention going through and picking mm-hmm. what to cut and, and <laughs> right. reordering everything. Right. I mean, it took me, right. you know, it was a good month before I really started, started translating. translating. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I was yeah. I was going through and, and sort of preparing everything yeah. first. Yeah. Um, oh, so it was it was a lot, and it was um, it was involved, very involving. <laughs> I was so deep into this book in a way I that I'm, I'm not always when I'm working yeah. on something. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on oh, the show and me. talking about the book. It's really a phenomenal book. If you're at all interested in any Italian cooking, you should run out and buy it because it's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I, I mean, as I said, very before, well done. I well, thank you. And I, if I had written it, I would be more modest about it. But since I have the distance <laughs> of the translator, I can say it really, it's a fabulous, fabulous um, documentation of something that I hope will never go away. But mm-hmm. I think you know, eventually, yeah. we may be in danger of losing. And I hope that this book retain is a little bit of a retaining wall against that erosion. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.